You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Welcome to the knock-on effect. This week, we are going to discuss why changing demographics in China leads to more plastic strips in doorways, and that this is our expanded version、mm-hmm. of the show. Yes. So we have a video version, which is a nice, tight, twenty-five-minute episode.、Uh, here, we're going to go into a little bit more depth, so you get a little more information on some of the topics that we're talking about. And Alex, my co-host, at the end will give us his word on the markets、mm-hmm. for you. As a teaser, get a little bit into horse racing. Yes. So, so horse racing lingo, I, I love. It's one of the best lingos, and I'm going to steal something from that lingo. See if I can apply it to what's going on with stocks right now. Well, I, there's always metaphors used in、uh, finance. There's no shortage of that.、So、yeah, we don't even know, like the home stretch that comes from horse there's racing. There's so many, <laughs> so much lingo.、Yeah. Um, so. For this podcast version of the knock-on effect,、uh, usually in the knock-on effects we have you guess, Alex.、Um, but in this version, since you already know what the why changing Chinese demographics will lead to plastic strips and doorways, I'm not going to have you guess. But we'll still go along the journey. Yeah,、um, I'm excited I'm, to learn more about it、yeah. because there, there are a couple avenues we didn't explore. Couple doors we didn't open. Right. Okay. So we'll start with the first aspect, which is. Changing Chinese demographics. So here's what's going on in China.、Um, there are now in Asia 70 million more men than women. This is in India and China alone.、Uh, this has never happened before in human history,、um, and a lot of this, specifically in China, was due to China's one-child policy. So, so can I ask a question? Because you said changing. Is that have we seen more? Men as as relates to women recently, or yeah, it's still even though China's official one-child policy is over, so、right. it went from 1979 to 2015. We still see vastly more men than women,、um, or boys to girls. The ratio is still quite off, even for births. So、mm-hmm. it's not as if now that、um, Chinese families can have as many children as they want, there still is a, a significant preference for boys. And I don't know how to ask this question. You know what I'm getting at, which is like it—they don't just happen to. Ha- I don't want to get too, but well, they don't just happen of- to have more boys than girls. Right. So this is—we we start off this week in a very dark place. Yeah. yeah.、Um, I will say that 
things are looking a little bit brighter, even though there still is a, a strong preference for um, boys. Uh, you still see a little bit of a dip in that. Um, and so, you know, I mean, there's still like, there's so much cultural um, issues here. I mean, men are seen as the breadwinners. They're seen as providing wealth for a family. They're seen as all sorts of things. Mm. And so that's um, heavily skewed um, perceptions in China towards boys. And so, you know what, this is out of, listen to this, out of China's population of 1.4 billion, okay. there are nearly 34 million more males than females. So that's equivalent to the entire population of Poland or the entire population of California, depending on what area wait, of the wait, world. Wait, sorry, but use. you said seven in China and India. There are 70 men oh, outnumber 70. women. Yes, 70 million. Um, so China specifically is 34 million. Okay, I see. Um, and so I, these are significant numbers. Um, and the consequences of this are pretty far reaching. It affects loneliness, which I briefly mentioned in the, the mm -hmm. video version. Um, but that also has impacts on crime rates, um, having more higher male to female. Can't be good for the crime rate. Is not good for the crime no. rate. Um, it also impacts neighboring countries. Uh, it impacts Vietnam. I'll, I'll explain how, in, including the, the gender ratios there, mm -hmm. because there's such a dearth of women in China, they're actually bringing in women from surrounding countries. So this, it impact, it, the, the effects are, are quite widely felt there. Um, and then on top of that, it also impacts savings and consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really what I want to focus on. So China's saving Not rate. Not the human trafficking aspect? No, okay. you know, we'll leave that <laughs> for another knock-on effect. There are actually quite a bit of knock-on effects from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the China savings rate is 46% of GDP. It's one of the highest mm -hmm. in the world. Um, so savings in China climbed in the 90s as parents were having fewer kids. So that mm. was one factor. Mm. Um, they were saving more for retirement. Um, now it, savings has become a huge factor in getting married. So it takes savings. Mm -hmm. It takes a house. Um, a good job to get a bride. So the, I think the perception uh, among uninformed Americans like myself might be that in China, you know, maybe people get married at, at young ages, at, you know, people get married at 18, 20, sort of like get married, start a life. Um, but, but that would imply people are getting married actually a, a bit later after they've already started their life. They've already had their jobs and they've been able to afford a house. Well, so because I will say the men that are getting married tend to be older than the women who are getting married. So okay. women are getting married at a younger age okay. in China. So it's not like people are getting married at the same age. Mm -hmm. um, a huge part of, I mean, like a big part of this is uh, actually the bride price. Um, and so this is, um, it used to be, so men pay women or the female's family um, for the right to marry, basically. And so this used to be a few hundred dollars. Um and now that's, that's a little lame. I wouldn't. I'd rather like you know what. Let's let's. Why don't you not pay me at all? Rather than right. give me like give my mom a couple hundred bucks here. Uh, go out and buy a steak or yeah, a, a bottle of a uh, Australian wine from last week. And yeah, right. It, it makes it seem like a lot less valuable. But now it's up to thirty thousand dollars. So see that I would take that. Yeah. Be like so that's um 
Ka-ching. People, men have to save a, a lot more than they used to to be able to um, get a wife. And then on top of that, um, having a house is basically a prerequisite for tying the knot. So you're right. Um, as opposed to the U.S. where it's like you get married and then you go buy a house together. Now it's uh, you need to have a house. And so basically in some bizarre way in this uh, arms race in the dating and marriage market, mm-hmm. um, basically homeownership has become the ultimate symbol of virility in China. Hmm. And wow. I have, I actually have a quote from the dating website. So this was posted on Baidu. This is uh, from a female. She says, I'm 25 years old looking for a boyfriend. I want you to have an apartment and a car. The apartment has to be built after 2000 and the car has to be better than a minivan. So demanding. I know. But guess what? Females have a lot more power in this market yeah. where uh, there aren't, there just aren't as many of them. Um, and so this is actually, this gender imbalance has created knock-on effects in the real estate market. So basically what's going on... Right, because everyone has to buy these these houses. Houses or apartments you, or you anything. You can't get laid without a house. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Do people get laid without getting married in China? I don't... I mean, I'm sure there's... Uh, it happens. It ha- I'm sure it happens. But it culturally... Uh, maybe this is a different... Yeah, that's a different right. knock-on effect. You can right, go ask your friends in China. Um, but uh, here's, here's an interesting note. Um, I mean... I'm sure people that are living with their parents are not um, getting much action, but 30. So, well, it's so 30, true in the U.S. too. I yeah, mean, our, our so coworker who lives in New Jersey with his parents, I keep telling him like, oh, no, I, I hope he doesn't listen to this yeah. episode. OK, so researchers at Peking University and Columbia University found that 30 to 48 percent of the real estate appreciation in 35 major Chinese cities was linked to a man's need to acquire wealth. And in part to attract a wife. I mean, so, that, that's the only reason anyone ever makes money, right? I mean, men and women alike is to acquire wealth. But this was so. I will make it clear that thirty to forty-eight percent um, appreciation in home prices was due to men trying to get a wife, right? So it was wow. uh, building wealth to get a wife for that mm. direct purpose. Um, that's pretty crazy. That yeah. is a huge amount of um, inflation there just for the home prices. I mean, to attribute that just to having a family, but uh, it's pretty much, um, how do I put this? Men are seen as less worthy or um, less masculine, less male, Mm -hmm. if they don't have a family and if they don't have a wife. Um, So there's this thing called uh, bare branches. So bachelors who fail to uh, get married and have kids are called bare branches for failing to expand the family tree. Um, I I have a quote here from a a researcher and social scientist in New Delhi. So this is more on the India side, though. Uh People devalue their masculinity. If they remain single, they will be declared not men at all. The basic function of a man in rural society is to have a family and look after that family. So Uh that's there's a huge amount of tradition and family pressure um, that's encouraging people to get houses and basically work and do everything they can to get a house, to save money. Um, and so basically because mar- marriage is your social status, there's inelastic demand here. People right. are willing to pay whatever price it takes to get that house. And so that has been pushing up housing prices a huge amount. And, you know, this trickles in, this is not just China, this actually trickles into foreign markets as well. Chinese money going to the U.S., surged um, from 10 
billion in 2010 all the way up to 30 billion in 2017 just going specifically to real estate and so this whole this whole process yeah of- I, I went to vancouver actually uh, mm-hmm. for a story for real vision and there were so many houses that were abandoned uh waiting for chinese families to move in where someone would buy a house and then you know and and then they but but no one was living there they were they were actually that's a that's a really important point i do have i'm um, so uh, because it became such a problem in Vancouver from all this uh, foreign buying, they right. put a 15% tax on any foreign home ownership. And guess what? Prices in Vancouver yeah. dropped by 20% within a few months, yeah. which is, that's, a, I mean, to see how impactful foreign buying has become in some right. of these cities, uh, specifically Chinese buying. Chinese buying was a huge issue oh, in yeah. Vancouver, um, but also in a lot of West Coast uh, cities. Yeah, it's, it's a similar thing happened in, in Seattle. That, I mean, people are, you know, we, we could talk about this for, for a while, but people are, all these condos are going up and people are speculating on the pre-sales of these condos and, yeah. and like the right to have a house in the future. Because it doesn't really matter if the house isn't there yet because you're not going to live in it for several years anyway. I do have another fun little tidbit here. Um, yeah. Houses that have the number eight in them, so apartment units that have the number eight, yeah. uh, are seen as more lucky. Actually, right. if you look at a lot of the closing prices from some of these houses, oh, really? they actually typically end in 888. Uh, that would be a pretty clear signal that it's a Chinese buyer because that is a, a very lucky number. That That's a fun way of looking at it. And four is unlucky? Four is very unlucky, yes. And so there are even accounts of um, somebody had um, their number was 44. Mm -hmm. And they lobbied or they were able to get the city to change it to 42A. Oh, their house number. Yeah, I thought you meant their number. age. Oh, no, no, no. No, their house number. Because if you could lobby the government to change your age, that would be, <laughs> be really pretty, exciting. That would be pretty awesome. Uh, no. So, you know, these, there's all sorts of, that's another weird. No, it's, it's another way. And I don't want to jump the gun here, but it's, it's another way that all the, that China soft power, the, soft, the power of its consumers, mm-hmm. it's just like we talked about last week, is shaping and and I do want to stress that this is not it's not like because now the one child policy is over in China and maybe demographics are going to balance out that suddenly this demand for housing is going to go away or whatever, mm-hmm. because we haven't even seen the peak of it. You still have a lot of right. men that haven't married. They're getting older. They're still in the marriage market. And so women eventually do pass. So pretty much after 30 um it's more and more unlikely that a female is going to get Are we married. just trying to collect sad things in this I know, episode? So this, this I mean, is a this, very, is, this like... is a very down. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but it's an important fact. Yes, so, yes. so basically you have a lot more men and it's, it's continuing to climb. So we haven't even reached that peak yet. And on top of all this, so we were talking about these foreign markets. Um, Chinese demand has pretty much pushed these prices over the top. I mean, we've had a lot of factors in the U.S. We've had low, low interest rates, low mortgage rates. Sure. Um, and that's fueled um, housing demand. But then on top of that, you have this inelastic demand from foreign buyers. That's really put a huge surge on um, on prices. So I want to take a little bit of a, a detour here, which is not that we haven't been taking a little bit of a detour yeah. talking about uh, Chinese lucky numbers. But um, you would think that we have this huge surge in demand for homes. So then the construction industry would step up to the plate because there's so much demand. Housing prices are are going insane. Mm-hmm. You would think that someone would say, hey, let's build more houses. Right. And so then that would mitigate the price of these crazy prices of houses. Sure. But we haven't been seeing that, which um, that's because the, the global construction industry hasn't really been able to keep up. 
and that's for a lot of different factors. But um, right now, the the construction industry over the world is ten ten trillion dollars. It's a huge industry. Yeah. Um, but the productivity in that industry has basically been flat since 1945. So mm. since World War II, right. we haven't seen really any increase in production. Whereas um, we've seen increases, pretty big increases in um, production for manufacturing, and we've seen increases in productivity for um, farming and agriculture and all sorts of other things. Those have been supercharged, but construction has not. Um, and it's sort of this weird thing where a lot of it is the the system that we have right now for construction. So basically a developer gets a property, then they hire subcontractors. Well, they, they hire a contractor and then mm -hmm. that contractor hires subcontractors. So it's this uh, system where there's so many different hands in the one project um, and everyone takes their own little cut of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not really a unified system. And that's because you can't, if you're taking on a big building project, you don't want to take on all that risk. So you basically farm out the risk or dole out the risk to different parties along the way. And I thought this was like a cultural US thing. This, this, this is all is, over the world. This is all over the world. Um, and so that's been part of the reason that we haven't seen as many advances in um, in construction. But then on top of all of that, um, especially in the US, we haven't seen um, rebounds from the construction industry after what happened since the financial crisis. So um, construction workers, the employment is 23% lower than it was in 2006. Mm -hmm. um, higher skilled trades like plumbers and carpenters and electricians, those are down 17%. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen that labor actually rebound uh, in almost a decade. And, and have it in China, do you, do you know the China's construction industry? I mean, so the China's construction industry uh, is booming. I mean, like similar sure. to the U.S. I mean, because there is that huge amount of demand and the construction industry hasn't been able to keep up in China. Right. Um, I don't have the specific numbers as to like electricians mm -hmm. and plumbers. Um, but a lot of this, I mean, basically a lot of the way the U.S. system is structured is very similar to how it's structured around the world mm -hmm. um, in terms of the inefficiencies that we see. And so this is where we might have reached a tipping point because we do see around the world uh, investors and builders looking for more efficient ways to build. Um, and so this is where we get into modular housing. Okay, so I just wanted, just for those of us following along at home, it started with China's demographics, more men than women, men have to beef up their savings and, and buy houses to attract these uh, brides. Yes. Brides is always such a weird word, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, brides plural is weird. But brides, it, why is that? Brides. Brides singular is, here comes the bride. Here comes the brides all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, we never talk about them. In yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. I'm just form. trying to do a summary and I'm getting. So, so men have to buy houses. That's leading to more demand for houses. And that could lead to uh, more efficient ways to build houses. And so that brings us to modular housing. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and so basically that demand has pushed prices over the top. And so now we're when, to... I'm sorry, but do you remember when George W. Bush wrote to... Do you remember what he said when Obama won the, ele the election? No. He like wrote him a note that said, congratulations to you and your lovely bride. Oh, what a weird... Isn't that weird? Yeah, that yeah. is a weird little side note. Anyway, back sorry, to the sorry. story. Yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, so we have modular housing. Um, and so basically modular housing, you can think of it like 
um, assembling it like Ikea furniture or basically Lego bricks or whatever, well, however you want to think about it. Yeah. The first one's not fun. The second one is. Um, well, see, we've gone into more fun territory than we were before. This is less of a downer. Um, and so basically, um, hotels and... I don't know. Have you ever been to Ikea, especially like with a, with a partner? It's very contentious. Oh, yeah. That would not... Uh, you would not be able to get a bride that way. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so but it's sorry, sorry, yes. Hotels, yes. hospitals, yes. fast food restaurants, I, all sorts of different um and apartment buildings especially are looking to modular housing as a way to make uh the the housing process or make the the building process a little bit faster. And basically what it is is you have everything set up mm-hmm. in a factory line okay. where you know you put in the, the bathroom you put in the living room you mm-hmm. put in the bedroom you put in the plumbing it's, it's whatever you want um and you basically can build a lot faster with this sort of planned out system so rather than sending out the risk so you know to subcontractors and other subcontractors you control for it you have it all done in a factory and then and then you you build it up but isn't isn't so I, here, here's what I would say if I was a construction uh-huh. worker or a subcontractor or contractor or sub subcon is that, you know, when I build a house, I am building it for this particular place that it looks kind of like the other houses on the street, but different that, you know, it, it exactly fits you have the right amount of yard and people can custom it to, to how they want. So it, you can't just like put basically what, what's a big doll house. Right. It's like it's like a dollhouse you put down on, on this property. It doesn't work. Well, a lot of this I should explain a lot of these modular facilities are more so apartment buildings. Okay. And so they can turn out um, a thousand apartment units mm-hmm. um, in a few months. I mean, it's pretty it's really wow. fast. Um, and so they're they're building they're building these a, a really a rapid clip. It makes it a lot easier. Um I mean, you did have like these cookie cutter houses. I mean, that was a thing. Yeah, the, the um, Levitt towns in Long Island after, after actually, same for 1945, after World War II, when a lot of these soldiers came back, there were houses that were all the same that usually like a quarter, quarter turn off or something like that. So they didn't look freaky. But. Right. So these, these basically prefab houses, you also had Sears houses um, that were like basically order catalog order houses. Oh. Um, and those didn't really catch on in the U.S. They did right. catch on, um, or prefab housing did catch on in Europe, Australia, Asia, more so than it did in the U.S. for two big reasons. One reason is that the U.S. has been predominantly suburban. And so people moving to the suburbs, there was a lot more space. You didn't um, have to, the, the cost wasn't a big deal. But now that we've had more urbanization, costs have become a bigger deal. And so having cheaper housing options has become more important. And then on the other hand, um, the construction industry has typically had pretty slim profit margins. So investing in research and development mm, wasn't really a, nice. a thing until now. So this is where we're getting some more of these. And this is because like the longest movie trailer. of all right? <laughs> Well, this has become huge business. Yes. So venture capital is pouring billions of dollars into some of these modular startups. Mm. Um, labor costs are cheaper because... A lot of workers, while construction workers, while they're making less, they have steadier work mm-hmm. so they can get paid less there. Um, and then it also streamlines and simplifies the process. It's um, very similar to a Detroit auto factory where each worker can do any of the jobs. So there's one union that oversees all the workers mm-hmm. and then workers can shift around jobs. So rather than on a typical construction site, you have someone who's an electrician and there's the electrician 
electric union and then mm -hmm. you have someone who's a plumber and there's a plumber's union. Mm -hmm. It's all under one roof. You don't, you, these people can, can go to any part of and right. work on any aspect of, of the building process. Um, yeah. It's kind of depressing. I mean, it honestly, like the, it reminds me of what's happened to food where hmm. it used to be that you would grow food in your farm or whatever. And, and your, or if you actually, everyone had food in their own backyard. And then we had some farmers and then you would go to the local farmer and then it was like regional. And now there's just like a goddamn factory in the middle of nowhere that's just churning out all the food and shipping it everywhere. Now the same thing's happening to how, the same thing happened to car, it's, well, it's always been true with cars. Same thing's happening to houses. Like, what is there that's actually- Well, there's been a resurgence in like local organic markets and stuff like that for for food. So it's sort of, you see, I see these things going in like waves, okay. you know? So we have, we have cycles. And so now the cycle determines that we need more affordable housing. And actually, I think that's a good thing. We can we can all be living in the same house and it all can all look the same, but it's a lot more affordable. And I think at the end of the day, yes. um, these crazy prices in San Francisco, in yeah. Vancouver, in China, in wherever else in the world, um, having more affordable options is pretty good. And um, how this all fits together yes. is that a telling- Oh, literally how it all fits literally together. Literally how it all fits together. So <laughs> a telling detail that you are in a prefab unit is that let's say is the, that you're married to a chinese man no okay <laughs> is that there is a plastic strip in the door frame and so that's because let's say they're adding an extra bedroom onto the hallway or onto the unit mm -hmm. that door frame will have a plastic strip or some sort of strip in between the unit so right now let's say in my my place where mm -hmm. i don't it's not prefab there is wood the wood floors are continuous throughout you won't see mm -hmm. that continuous wood because every piece gets added on as basically Lego blocks in some way. Right. Yeah. So these these uh, big plastic things, and you you brought one to the. Where did you find the one you brought to the? So, so if, if you see the video on realvision.com, Justine brought one a prop. Yeah. Where did you what what did you steal it from someone's house and their no, house is no, no. falling apart? I found it in the hardware store. They have okay. Those, those things exist. Okay. So yeah, right. I was able to easily buy it. Um, and I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, these things are not that common. I mean, there are sometimes, like, you've, you'll see, if you look for them, you'll see strips and doorways. So basically the tile in my kitchen is different from the tile in my living room. And so mm -hmm. you'll see like a nice little strip there, like a little threshold. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically for these prefab units, they will be between most of the rooms. So these new thresholds will get more Chinese people across the... Threshold of marriage. That's the thing, right? I don't know. Burned a threshold, wedding threshold. Does that, you bring them across the threshold? She's shaking her head. Yeah, all right, sorry. I think that's, I think that's a symbol for death, actually. No, it's, yeah, a, across it's the, threshold? the man brings the woman across the, or oh, across the threshold of the. I don't know. I've always, that, that sounds like a downer. No? Well, it's not less of a downer than anything else. <laughs> than anything else in this episode. Okay. Well, anyway, so I, I want to get to some of the takeaways from this. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about China. I mean, so Chinese demand is not obviously the only thing that is pushing, um, you know, modular housing and people to move in that direction because there already was an affordability crisis, but it's just one 
more aspect to the story that is pushing prices over the top. Um, and, and, you know, so there are two aspects to the story. You have China, you were talking about how basically the soft power and, and Chinese demands are going to determine a lot of things we see in the future, yeah. um, including the types of wine we see, including the types of chocolates and coffee. I mean, there's all sorts of different things going on. There. All sorts of arguably more fun to talk about. Yeah, that, but... <laughs> I, picked, I picked the saddest one. But um, no, but, but this, this, I know why you picked it, because it actually is. There's so many like we're talking, there's so many people in China that it's affecting real estate markets all over the world. So, you know, it's sort of fun and, and cheeky to talk about how Australians are going to close their wine. Yeah. But this is like if, if you if you go to um, I don't know, not not Vancouver necessarily, but a, a cheaper city in on the on the West Coast and you see a ton of modular houses, Chinese demand really might have something to do with it. Either that Chinese people are buying that those houses themselves or other people are getting pushed out by wealthy Chinese yeah, buyers. Exactly. And, and yeah, so I mean, you know, on the other aspects, so we have the Chinese demand, then we also have the housing. Um, globally, we're spending $650 billion more per year on housing than we can afford. That's according to a McKinsey study. Um, in 2016, more than 75% of all housing markets were classified as unaffordable. It's according to another study. Uh, in Australia, Canada, China, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, Singapore, and the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, so this is this is absolutely a global phenomenon that we're seeing, and there's going to absolutely have to be something that addresses it. And so right now we're starting to see that little bits, little glimmers of things that are going to address the housing issues. I wonder though if this will have a further knock-on effect though of increasing real estate prices to compensate. I'll explain what I mean. For instance, if oil fell from seventy or eighty bucks a barrel wherever it is on, on Thursday when this comes out, to 20 bucks a barrel, then you would see greater demand for cars mm -hmm. because it's cheaper to drive. Um, and similarly, if car prices somehow collapsed, you, it would make sense that the price of oil would rise since more people were buying gasoline, which mm -hmm. is made from oil. Here, if the cost of the... Like, I, I just kind of believe that, that real estate... Prices like it doesn't it come from that combination of the house itself, it, sorry, the price of a house that is doesn't it come from the combination of the price of the house itself and the price of the land that that house is on. So if the house price comes down and there is this demand mm -hmm. and people are just people are paying whatever people are paying the most that they can afford. Yes. Then won't that value that real estate have to rise? Well, it specifically depends on on density. So that's really what it comes down to. So if as city centers become a lot more dense, then yes, of course you're going to see land values rise. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily offset the um, affordability of some of these cheaper units. Or you might see. Um, I mean, this gets into transportation and other things. Um, maybe people won't be as close to city centers as uh, they want to be right now. So there's all sorts of other ways to offset that. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Manhattan, I mean, land values are have skyrocketed. Right. No, but I mean, in places where you see modular housing. Right. Well, like, actually, like it, it's it's as, a, as if I was a real estate developer, I'd be more excited about buying a house if I knew if buying a, a property to put a house on, if I knew that the house itself was going to be dirt cheap. Yes. Yeah, so so you, you're saying basically that um, it's going to even out anyway. I think so. I mean, if the demand is inelastic, you know, people are people are paying. If, if if you're trying to get laid, demand is inelastic because you know it just is, right? So then, 
if, if you have a million dollars and, and you can pay a million dollars, you're going to pay a million dollars. Like th that's how much the price is going to be, right? I see what you're saying. I mean, but it, what it really comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, if the construction industry can keep up. So if suddenly there's, I, and I, I get what you're saying, but suddenly if there's so many more options of places to live and the construction industry is a lot more efficient mm -hmm. um, and you have this huge supply mm -hmm. of housing, which is we are so far away from right now. Yes. Um, that could potentially offset. I mean, people will have a lot more options of where to live rather than the, the few places that exist right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, did I kind of convince you a little bit? I th I think so. so. Yeah. So just just again, just give just give us oh, the okay. steps for those of us okay. who are so first step listening is, while they're washing dishes. Well, that's the best time to listen to podcasts. By the way, is dishwasher. I do that too. You and do? folding laundry, both both good things. Yeah. Okay. So first step is ch changing Chinese demographics. What that actually means is a gender imbalance. Um, basically, more men than women, um, and that especially in the marriage market, that gender imbalance is growing. Then the next step is that that means that there are going to be much more savings and house buying, uh, specifically on the part of men, to try to attract women in China um, because there is this expectation of needing to have savings mm -hmm. and needing to have a house. And then that next knock-on effect means that housing prices are going up, which we've seen across China. Um, that's trickling into other markets, uh, Canada, U.S., Asia, other places, Europe as well. And then that next knock-on effect means that because these prices are rising so rapidly, uh, there will be other things to compensate uh, for that rising price. And so uh, there's a lot more investment right now in affordable and modular housing. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think this is one of those things where I, I, I agree with you. I, 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 you've made a compelling case. It's one of the things that's going to happen anyway because House, because we haven't seen progress in the house making construction industry. Yeah, that's what they call it, construction. Yes. Um, so, so how uh, house making leads to, to baby making is what I always say. Oh, so, yeah, so, there, that's that's very that's a nice little tagline for this episode. Thank you. Um, so, what are there specific? Uh, just in case you're you know a real gambling addict? Are there specific stocks you might want to buy to? A lot of these companies are startups. So actually we have, and I might be pronouncing them wrong. There's one called Katera. There's one called Factory OS. Um, there's one called Casita. Um, Casita. It's like a little house. Oh, okay. Oh no. Shows how bad my Spanish is. Um, but I'm guessing that's spelled with a C. This one's spelled with a K. Um, and then there's Rad Urban. There's so there's um, oh Blockable. Some blockable. I thought, oh Blockable. That's good. That's yeah. a good name. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there, there's a bunch of these. They are uh, mostly startups and um, have, have venture capital investments. I'm not sure how you would invest in using the public markets in these. Okay. Fair okay. enough. Well, there we go. Okay. Well, that's all we have for the knock-on effect, Alex. I'm going to let you take it home with our final segment. Yes, yeah, so this is a word on the market, a new segment. And our word is a two-word phrase, heartbreak alley. Now, that is the last stretch of a race. It's a kind of horse, horse betters collo colloquialism, if I knew what that word meant. Oof. For- You got it out. Yeah, sort of. Um, for, for the last, for, for after the horses, you know, round the final turn, they're coming, um, for the final gate about to end the race. 
known as Heartbreak Alley. And we're talking about horse racing because we saw a beautiful race on Saturday in the Belmont Stakes. Justify won the Triple Crown, meaning that after he probably... He? It? What do you say for a horse? He. He. I don't know. Or may, is it she? No, it is he. Okay. He. It's, a, it's, a, it's known as a filly if it's a okay. female horse. Um, so after he won the uh, Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, he also won the Belmont Stakes. If you win all three... Triple Crown. Correct. So, what, but it, it reminded me, and it's the number second triple crown for a trainer, Bob Baffert, but it reminded me of my favorite race, 1998, when Bob Baffert almost won the triple crown. Uh, did you actually watch this race in 1998? You know, to me, a horse race is best consumed 20 years after it happens. Okay. So, th this horse, going back to 1998 here, this horse was named Real Quiet, and... Just, justified, real quiet. Yeah, and, and I advise everyone to go and they watch this. They don't give them like names like Duke or Johnny or... Oh, not dogs. I know, but it's just interesting the difference between horse names and dog names. There's like, it, there seems to be quite a chasm here. Well, actually what... Oh, chasm here. I thought you said chasm here. Uh, well, what, what's interesting is that people name these horses to get generate bets. Like Gronkowski oh, actually came in so second. there's a psychology here. There's, yeah, because they because they want, so there are a lot of sevens, you know, I'm sure if they were racing in China, there'd be a lot eights, of eights, yeah. but um, and actually the seven horse always gets bet more than the other horses, so you should not bet on the seven horse, unless huh. you really want to. But, but Gronkowski got all this action, all these bets, because the owner named him very cleverly, of course, after the uh, New England Patriots tight end, and there, there, I, I mean, I've seen some fun, there's a really funny race I saw where the two leading horses were... Uh, the wife knows everything. My wife doesn't know. The wife knows, and then he just kept saying, "The wife knows everything. My wife doesn't know. The wife knows everything. My wife doesn't know." <laughs> oh, that's uh, terrible. Yeah, but anyway, uh, getting back to, to this race at hand. So, real quiet. It came it was sort of in the middle of the pack, maybe in third, and went around the long way to take a commanding lead down the stretch. To it would have been the first triple crown win in twenty years, and the announcer was screaming and everyone's going crazy because everyone of course bets on this horse that's about to win the triple crown when a competitor horse named victory gallop is not a good one that's pretty good yeah. i like that came came bounding out to just exactly tie just as they're finishing the race the two horses tied and finished it was literally a photo finish meaning that they could not declare who won until the judges consulted the photo. And they found that Victory Gallop won by four inches. Hmm. So it, its nose was just in the right place at the right time, literally. Oh, so if the other person picked up his head a little more, he might have... Yeah, put, put down out. his head, actually. Yeah. Oh, heads are, and, oh and, yeah, okay. But yes, it, it, exactly. It was just, it's just bad luck, and it was you know millions of dollars on the line for, for a lot of people. Four inches. Four inches. Okay, so how does this relate to the market? Oh, right. I thought you'd never ask. Um, so, 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 so that that race kind of explains the term heartbreak alley, right? Where you think, here we go, I, I, I'm gonna get rich, and then all of a sudden, some other horse wins, and you have to rip up your ticket and promise your wife you'll never go to the track again. Uh, you could lose the house, and then you might not have kids or get married. Sure. Uh, so, so. In the markets right now, I, I'm noticing that the bulls are becoming a little more excited. 
cheering a little more boisterously about what's been going on. And, and we have seen very strong earnings, uh, strong revenue growth, GDP growth looks good, sentiment looks good. Um, and, and, and here's a few, two choice quotes. So Warren Buffett, he told CNBC, quote, if we are in the sixth inning of the economic expansion, we have our sluggers coming up to bat right now. Um, and then Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, in the same conversation told CNBC, quote, there is nothing that is a real pothole here. Business sentiment is almost at the highest level it's ever been. Consumer sentiment is at its highest levels. Markets are wide open. Housing is in short supply. We talked about that. Yep. Uh, and and uh, mortgage credit will expand. Why do these people, everybody seems to love metaphors in finance. I mean, it's just like liquidity is another metaphor, bulls and bears. I mean, everything well, is a well, metaphor. Well, I'm talking about horses because it's, it's, finance is, I know, is inherently but, abstract, right? All right so. so everything's, yeah. So you, then you have baseball, we're in the ninth inning. Sixth. Sixth inning, excuse me. Ninth inning would be bad. Sixth inning is good. Uh, potholes, whatever else you want. Well, here, here's a really good one oh. coming up. This, this is a, a contrary view from... Uh, from, from Real Vision favorite, just kidding, Ben Bernanke, uh, who said at the American Enterprise Institute, quote, what you are getting is a stimulus at the very wrong moment. It's going to hit the economy in a big way this year and next year. And then in 2020, Wiley Coyote is going to go hmm. off the cliff. So I commend him for the modern reference. Yeah, that's, that's, I like that one's a little more uh, original than um, baseball or horses. <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> Sorry. Hey. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I think, and Bernanke's point is actually was one that was made on the Adventures in Finance uh, podcast episode with David Rosenberg, the economist from Kluskin Chef. I actually recommend you you go back and listen to that one if you haven't. That, that was one of my favorite episodes. And he laid out this idea that why are we cutting taxes and increasing spending? Now, just when we're at the peak of the expansion, I mean, Ben Bernanke was begging for years, I need some help from Congress. I can't do this on my own. I need stimulus. Now we're getting stimulus just as the Fed is saying, hold on, actually, well, it's time to cut rates. Yeah. Uh, sorry, it's time to raise rates to stop inflation. And so, I mean, but then that, it's funny because like, if you looked at Ben Bernanke before the financial crisis, you're saying, oh, no, like rates are fine and things everything's going fine and the mortgage market's fine. And so it's it's interesting here that he's uh, changing his tune on the economy. You know, so he, he he's not had the best track record is all I'm saying. No, I mean, but no one has. I mean, it's important. Yeah. This stuff is impossible to forecast. I don't even know why we're here. But um, the, the, the view, I think, is a salient one. The idea that, you know, we're, we're getting everything, everything's looking so great, but maybe it's looking so great and, and we're tapping ourselves out. We're we're using up our, our, our last gas. Uh, how many metaphors can oh I add in this segment? At, at ju just when the race is, is in the middle. So I'm not saying we're going to see a, a market dramatic market decline. I actually think there's a good chance we won't see that dramatic market decline that a lot of people think. However, it's possible just when everything is looking so good, we're rooting for our horse, who's really a bull now. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and then, then the other horse, which is actually a bear, will, oh, no. will overtake it. And, and, and his metaphors all got mixed up. It will be our heartbreak alley. Now, yes. so, so you're saying that the, the bulls are the, are, what's the name, Victory Gallop? No, uh, Real Quiet. Oh God! Okay, so there's so many names and so many. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it's it's a tableau. It's a 
it's a pastiche, if you will. Okay. Well, thank you for that pastiche. You're welcome. <laughs> um, do you do you do you, you don't play the ponies? I guess you don't. No, I don't. Um, I don't gamble actually at all. Uh, Doesn't drink. Doesn't gamble. Yeah, okay, no, cool. I'm sounding more and more uh, <laughs> like a prude. No, I, you know, I think a lot of this comes back to timing. It's all about timing, finding, having the right timing. Um, you know, you can have one theory or another, whether you're a bull or a bear, great. But if you have bad timing with it, it really doesn't matter. Positioning and timing are the two key things to trading. And two th key things in horse racing, too. You want to. Position. Positioning and timing. Yeah, yeah. You want to be in the right position. At the right time. At the right time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, four inches can make a big difference. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Just well, going to move on from that. And, okay. And well, I think, I think that's a great way to end. Alex, yes. thank you so much for giving us your word on the market. You're welcome. Thank you for taking us from Chinese demographics to uh, that little... Just little plastic strips. Yeah. And that's all for this week's knock-on effect. You can catch us every Thursday on realvision.com. Yes. Uh, well, that, that's the video versions on realvision.com. And you, you can, even if you're, you're not a subscriber, by the way, you can just scroll down and check out the latest video. Although we do encourage you to sign up for the 14-day free trial. Yes, and you can get that at www.realvision.com slash knockon effect. And do not forget the Ws. Yes, who knows where you'll go if you don't you include those Ws. <laughs> I don't know where it goes. Uh, me neither. I, I think we're done here. All right, see you guys next week. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lipsandads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com